Hello, this is Pastor Rebecca Bateman of Doylestown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become so busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear Sunday's sermon, along with a scripture lesson from that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all the diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. Well, this week has certainly been a challenge, and I have received many questions about the things that have been happening in the Middle East, and maybe you have had questions or received some as well. But once again, we've had the experience of seeing inhumanity and the very worst of human behavior. And we are grieved and we are frightened, and there are questions that arise, the questions of what does this mean? Where is God in this? Could this possibly be the beginning of Armageddon? Serious questions, serious concerns. We wrestle with these threatening circumstances that just explode in our world. And as Christians, as we come together, we come together to hear God's word, we are challenged as to understand what it means, how we are to live, how we are to respond. I don't have answers, and I too have been very challenged by the events of this week and given the text that we are focusing on today. And so listen now as we hear these words and let us open our hearts to pray, to pray with faith and with hope that a God who is greater than our understanding can do things that we can't even imagine. So hear now these words from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine. To God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Ephesians is one of the letters that Paul wrote to a church that he had been involved in uh, forming and pastoring and teaching. The church in Ephesus was in a thriving cosmopolitan city It was made up of people from Rome and Greece, the Mediterranean, North Africa. The church was a diverse group of believers, mostly Gentiles. And after hearing Paul's message about God's love for them in Jesus Christ, their lives were changed. Their worldview was changed. Their understanding of who they are and what their purpose in life was was changed. 
But Paul was convinced that the good news of God's love for all of humanity that was displayed in Jesus's life should be shared with the entire world. And he believed that the gospel could change individuals. So this letter is uh, to a community that is, it is very positive letter. It's a very upbeat, encouraging letter. It's filled with love and instruction, encouragement and suggestions. Paul wants them to be strengthened in how they live their lives in a society that was hostile to the gospel. And he wanted them to live lives worthy of the message that they now believed. And so his instructions on how to live that life says that they should display love, compassion, honesty, faithfulness in relationships and commitments, and lives that would contribute to their society and to one another. But the people living in Ephesus were in a very tenuous time. They were living under Roman rule, and they knew that there were invaders in various uh, places around their world. Their faith in Christ could have disastrous implications for them, especially where in a culture where the emperor was divine and rules were harsh and unforgiving. But in the middle of this letter, Paul makes a very confident statement, and it's bold. He says to them that God is able to do abundantly more than they could think or imagine through the spirit that was at work in them. And that this work of God through them was for God's glory and for the strengthening of their fellowship in Christ Jesus for their time and their circumstances. What an extraordinary claim Paul was making. And I wonder how the people of Ephesus responded to this teaching. But this is the conundrum of Christian faith. As, as it is, as it was for them, it is for us as well. How do we trust in a magnificent God who creates stars and seeds, who gives human beings the capacity to love and to hate, who is often enigmatic in revelation and yet enticing in witness and teaching. How does this assertion that God can do abundantly more inform how we live, how we pray, how we are in the world? Presbyterian pastor John Ortberg wrote a book entitled, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. The title says it all. This is the life of faith. It requires us to get out of the boat. It requires us, at times, to be tested. Tested in what we believe, and to get out of the boat, and to walk and live in such a way that we know, or we, I don't know, that God can do more than we can ask or think. I'm going to share with you a personal story that was for me a way that I discovered that God could do more than I could ask or imagine. 
And that is why I chose the companion text today of Isaiah 55, 1 through 3, where the invitation from the prophet Isaiah says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the water, you that have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. 28 years ago, I was working for a nonprofit in Fort Washington. They were going to relocate to Philadelphia. But I had grown up in Philadelphia. I'd recently moved from Philadelphia to Bucks County, and I really didn't want to be commuting back into Philadelphia. So I told the executive director that I would not be going with them. He wanted to help me out and said, you know, who can I talk to? What do you, you know, what do you want to do? And I said to him, I want to go to seminary. And he looked at me and he said, well, I can't help you with that. <laughs> but going to seminary, and that was the first time that I had ever expressed that out loud. But going to seminary was so far beyond my imagination or realm of possibility. I had a daughter in college. My income was important to our fi family finances. Besides, where would I go? Could I even be accepted? What would I do once I was there or once I finished? For you see, most of my church life, I had been in denominations or churches that did not support women in pastoral roles or ordained offices. My own understanding of scripture was evolving. I had been teaching Bible studies, leading women's retreats, working in children's ministry. But as I saw women being excluded from the sharing and offering of the sacraments, as well as being limited in areas of pastoral care, I began to let my thoughts run and turn to the what-ifs. I read books and articles by women pastors and theologians. I had a very dear friend who was an Episcopalian priest. I began pondering the possibilities with lots of doubts and much uncertainty. But after that admission to my boss, I began to explore. I looked into seminaries. I talked to people I trusted. And I began to very gingerly consider, could I do it? Should I do it? Was this a call? I wanted to learn so much that seminary offered, but I carried a lot of self-doubt. Long story less long, and you know the conclusion. Uh, I was admitted to Princeton. But how this was going to be financed was a major concern and a conversation with my husband. And then, I heard Isaiah 55, first few verses, where God says, come, buy, without money. And I decided that if God was truly calling me, then I needed to get out of the boat and trust God with what happened next. When I met with the financial people at Princeton about tuition, I was told that scholarships were available to students who were members under care of session in Presbyterian churches. I was given a scholarship to cover the cost of my tuition for the three years I was at Princeton. 
Over those three years, a dear friend and mentor sent me a check every year for $500 to cover my books. Every year, the Anchor Presbyterian Church, where I was under care, gave me a financial gift to help with expenses. There was another miracle. My very ancient Chevy station wagon that was lovingly called the mothership <laughs> didn't break down. I never had a flat tire. I never hit a deer as I commuted back and forth five days a week in the early morning or late at night. That experience unfolded in my life to confirm me to me that when I saw no way, God made a way. It was not of my doing. The scholarship was not based on merit. It was grace. And that grace is always a surprise. But that scholarship money didn't materialize out of nothing. Those funds had been given over the years and years and years by faithful people, by alumni, by benefactors, by bequests. And that scholarship fund to this day is used to build up the church, to encourage students seeking to discover God's call on their lives, and to bring glory to the one who can do abundantly more than we can even ask or imagine. The one who says, come, buy, and eat, you who have no money. Do you have stories like mine? I think you do. Because I know that you are people of faith and you have gotten out of the boat and trusted God. Trusted in times where the door was closed or there was a big wall in front of you and God made a way. And so it is. As we have begun this process of transition, as we're looking for a new pastor, as we've begun this giving initiative and looking forward to what God might have for us in the future, we may have our ideas, we may have our dreams or our hopes or even some fears and some, uh, seeing some closed doors or seeing walls in front of us. But the challenge for us is to walk one day at a time, trusting that God will make a way keeping our focus on the love of Christ for us and with openness and honesty, discovering the ways that God will do abundantly more than we can even think or imagine. May we be surprised by the grace that God lavishes on us and may we respond with humility of heart and generosity of our lives. May it be so. May it be so. I'd like to close with the prayer that Paul used in Ephesians as he prayed for that church. And it's the words, it's the verses that precede the verse that we have read today. This is Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus and the prayer for us today. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of God's glory, he will grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded 
in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.